I'm Emily. And I'm Tanner. And you're listening to the Sencia Podcast, a conversation about simplicity. Hello, everybody. How's it going? I'm Emily here with Tanner today. I lied to you last week and said that would be our last time doing a distance podcast, but we have one more. So I'm in Colorado. Tanner's on the boat right now. Um, checking her out. Gonna sleep there tonight. So that's exciting. Wish I was there. Um, last week we talked about uh, the offer process on our three-part boat buying series. So the first part was the search, second part was the offer, and now we're going to talk about the purchase. Um, so it's going to be a little nuanced at the very beginning with paperwork and things like that, but then we'll chat to you about what happens after you actually buy your boat. So we broke it up into three steps again here. Um, so we'll talk about the payment process, the documentation, and then the insurance, and then what happens next. So um, as far as payment goes, Tanner, what are the different options for payment once you've found a boat that you really want and you're working with either the broker or the owner and you're trying to pay them for the boat? Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways that you can do it or it they'll want to have it done. It's just going to depend on, like you're saying, if it's a yacht broker or a dealer, or a, I mean a private owner, excuse me, they're going to want to do it a specific way. <clears throat> so one of the first things you're probably going to have to do, which we probably should have put this in the beginning or in the previous podcast about um, the initial or the uh, before you get the survey going and stuff, you normally have to put a deposit down. Uh, it might be like 10% of the cost of the boat, uh, or it may be like 300 bucks, you know, I don't know. It, but a lot of times you put down a deposit and that kind of like secures the boat for you so it doesn't get sold out from under you. Um, so that's something that's probably going to happen. So when we were working with a broker on the first boat we were planning on buying, the CS, we actually had to give him a check and we're both in the process of moving right now. And we were like, we don't know where our checks are. So yeah. that's something to keep in mind. Like um, I had to like dig through all these boxes to find a check yeah. that I've like never used out of my checkbook. So that's something that might happen if you're dealing with a broker. And then the second time around, we didn't even have to put a deposit down because um, we were working with a private seller. So that'll depend on on the boat and who's selling it. Yeah, exactly. So the first time we had to put down 10% of the the offer, right? Yeah. So we put down like 30 or the deposit was like 3500 because we offered 35000 So that was our first experience. And then when we did the private owner, we didn't put a deposit down at all. He had mentioned <clears throat> putting one down to hold it, but we just bought it. I basically, we just went through the process so quickly. We really didn't have to wait or whatever, I guess. With the CS, you know, it took like up to like 30 days or whatever to actually execute the purchase. But with whenever we had the endeavor with the private owner, we we made that happen really quick, like seven days or something like that. So we didn't do a deposit for that one. So, hey, it's going to vary. So when it comes to actually buying your boat, this is going to be probably the same as it would be if you're buying like a car. Most, I mean, you know, it's pretty, pretty normal stuff. So most of the time you're probably going to use a cashier's check. Um, and that's just, if you don't know what a cashier's check, it's just a certified check from their bank guaranteeing the funds or from your bank guaranteeing the funds. You can also do cash, which is obviously the easiest way. Um, and if you're buying a boat that has a relatively low asking price, that's going to make it more simple and probably easier and quicker. Um, but just be careful carrying around like five grand in your pocket. Wire transfer, 
it's going to be fairly quick because there's no middleman involved. You don't have to give it to a broker and wait or whatever or have to go to the bank and get a cashier's check. You can just wire it directly to their account. And then bank-to-bank transfer, that's going to happen um, if you have to get financing or get a loan for your boat and the boat still has a lien on it or another loan open on it from the previous person. You'll probably need a payoff quote where their bank... So the owner of the bank or owner of the boat, sorry, their bank will give a payoff quote that says how much money they owe on it. And that will get be given to your bank and your bank will send a check or wire funds to their bank directly. And the title transfer will happen between the banks. So they kind of handle it all on their on their own. You don't really have to do a whole lot other than just kind of follow along and make sure the payoff quote gets to your bank and obviously fill out your loan paperwork and whatnot. Same as a, a vehicle, it's the same stuff. All right, so then the next um, portion of this, after we were able to pay the owner, um, is the documentation portion. So there's a couple of really important pieces of documentation that you absolutely have to have um, if you're going to do anything with your boat. So what are those? Yeah, once again, this is pretty much the same as a vehicle. Whenever you uh, purchase the boat, you definitely want to bill a sale. It's very important. Basically, just a legal binding document proving that you purchased something that's going to have, you know, the the vessel's information, the, the whole ID number, mileage or hours on the engine, stuff like that, what kind of boat it is, how long it is, the manufacturer, all that stuff. Then it's going to have, you know, who the buyer and the seller are, their addresses, the agreed upon price and the method of payment. Um, and you both sign it. And it's kind of like your receipt. Um, and you're going to, it may need to be notarized depending on what state you live in. So check that out. And you're probably going to need this to get the title, uh, put in your name and to register your vote at the, the register your boat at the DMV. So very important. Make sure you get this before you give them any money, unless it's a deposit. Anyways. So then the next thing is the title. Obviously you want the title of your boat. So once you've executed the payment of the boat, you're going to want to get your hands on it. The owner should sign it over to you, um, and then you're good to go, basically. If the boat had no lien on it and you paid for it with your own money, you didn't need financing, then you should get the title free and clear. And if you uh, if you get financing for the boat, you're going to have to send a title or a copy of it to your bank. Or if they had a loan on it and you're getting a loan on it, like I talked about previously, that title will probably be sent between banks. <clears throat> And then they're going to hold on to your title until you've paid your loan off, and then, then you'll become the owner of the boat. And the last thing is registration. Just like your vehicles, you have to register your boat. Um, once you've purchased it, you got to head over to the DMV, everyone's favorite place, and get your paperwork straight. Um, you can register your boat in your name and have the title redone in your name. So you need to make sure you check the requirements uh, for your DMV for vessel registration before you go. Make sure there's not any like weird paperwork or something you need to do. Uh, and you can also have your boat register with the Coast Guard if you want. Um, I'm not going to go into that here. That's something I'm still kind of looking into if it's really something we need to do or want to do. But it is an option, and you can look into that if you want. Uh, we just did state registration for now. We may do Coast Guard registration um, before we leave. I'm not sure yet. But... Uh, even if you do go U.S. Coast Guard, make sure that your state doesn't still require registration of the boat because I'm pretty sure some states, like to include Florida, if your boat is going to be there for a certain amount of time, 
for like within a year, you have to register it in the state still. So I'm pretty sure Florida, I think it's, if your boat is in Florida waters for 90 days out of the year, it must be registered. So just keep that in mind. And then you have to register your dinghy too, right? I don't know. Don't say that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think so. Yeah. That's something I still need to look into. I'm pretty sure you're, I'm pretty sure you're supposed to. I don't know if people do. But yeah, ours is a beast. So it's probably like <laughs> yeah, a, I think I think like boat. if you have like over like a five horsepower or a nine, maybe it's a ten over a ten horsepower. Like I don't know. I think there's some like little specific regulations to determine whether or not you have to register it. But I think you do actually. So I'll do yeah, it. So I'll do it. Too. I'll do it. Fine. <laughs> I don't really want to, but fine. <laughs> our dinghy is almost as big as our actual sailboat, so. We should probably go. Yeah, that's good. That, that means if something happens to it, <laughs> our dinghy can basically tow our boat around. It's going to be great. We have a backup boat. <laughs> You're right. All right. So first step payment, obviously. Second step documentation. And then once you have the documents to include the survey and the other documents we talked about just now, what is the next step? Get some insurance, people. This is important. Ah. I heard a story the other day about a guy who uh, like his boat capsized or he was in some big waves and you know, he lost his boat and just had no insurance. And that was like where he lived. It's like, dude, I mean, I get it. I mean, I understand, but man, that would, that would be rough. So yeah. And insurance is really weird on boats. I feel like I can get online and get car insurance in like five minutes and it's so easy. Boat insurance. Yeah. We had quite the struggle. (laughs) I think you did way more of the research on it than I did. It was rough. Yeah. There was so many options as far as like if you Google boat insurance, there's tons of options. Um, But I contacted probably like 10 different ones and they wouldn't insure our boat because either we didn't have enough experience or our boat wasn't expensive enough or it wasn't big enough or it wasn't in the right spot or whatever. They always had an excuse. So um, it was really weird. Um, I would get through the whole quote process. If you go online to these different companies, you can um, submit like a quote request um, and you put in like all your information, like everything that's on your survey. And uh, I'd get to the end and I'd get an email back from them saying, oh yeah, we, we don't insure boats like yours. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, boats like ours. Yeah. I think um, that's a good point because I yeah. was literally just on um, some cruising forum or something. And I was reading somebody, uh, a new, a new like cruising couple who had just bought a catamaran and they were, they were talking about that same problem. They were like, uh, how are you supposed to get your boat insured if you don't have three years of experience? Because like, didn't you notice that? Mm-hmm. I mean, almost all of them say you need three yeah. years of experience for them to insure your boat. Like yeah. what? I mean, I guess I get it, but that's so weird. I mean, if you're, I don't know. I feel like I know of a lot of stories and instances where people are trying to like get away from corporate life, get away from the struggles or retire and go live on their boat and cruise. And it's like, not everyone has three years of experience. So, and a lot of people have boats. So I don't really get it. You know, I don't know. So we ended up, um, we both bank with USAA and we just randomly found that they partnered with Progressive And so because I already had a car insurance policy with Progressive, I was able to submit, or with USAA, I was able to submit a quote with Progressive. um, And they didn't even ask how much experience we had with our boat. I don't know if it was because we had already been working with them through USAA or whatever, but um, we didn't have to submit how much experience we had. So um, 
I think we're paying a little bit more than a lot of other companies for insurance, but it was the only thing we could get. And uh, so we ended up going with Progressive as far as the insurance goes. And um, they were pretty nice. They said that we could edit our policy as we go along for, you know, where we're deciding to go. Because right now our boat's in Florida, but we're obviously not going to stay there um, for the foreseeable future. So we'll have to edit our policy based on um, where we go. And uh, we're not sure exactly how that looks yet. It might be pretty complicated and we might need to keep, you know, changing the policy based on where we are. Um, but we we'll are. update you I on that later. Cause, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty convoluted, but for us, it's worth it because that's our home and that's everything we own in our lives. So uh, we we want insurance on that for sure. And also it's kind of mandatory for um, a couple of, you know, for different marinas and things and for entrance to different countries. It's just, it's better to have it than not to have it. Yeah, for sure. I don't know about it other countries necessarily i guess we'll find out but i know in the u.s um maybe half the time i've gone to a new marina for like the night um they require insurance uh, before they'll let you in sometimes they don't care you know sometimes it'll be it's been if you're a transient slip for like a day or two they don't care about your insurance which they probably still should but they don't but if you're gonna like be a live aboard they do care then i don't know it it's gonna depend so it it's probably going to be easier for you if you do have it. Um, and if you pull into a marina and you mess somebody's boat up because it's choppy or, you know, whatever, whatever happens, you're covered. So I would do it. But yeah, totally weird. Like so many crazy things. Like if you're in the hurricane belt, they don't want to cover you or, or like they won't cover you if you're in the Caribbean, if it's during hurricane season, but it's okay if it's out of it. It's just really interesting. There's a lot of nuances. So get ready to read a lot of policy stuff and try to figure out what's going to work for you. If you're on a lake, you're lucky because then you don't have to worry about it. It's easy. But yeah, <laughs> I guess I'll keep going. Right. So the last thing I would consider is get tow boat US or sea tow. I've used it like twice already and I've only been a, a boat <laughs> owner for like nine months. First time ever moving the boat. Oh yeah. So funny story. <laughs> was, that wasn't you though. So. What do you mean? Oh no, no, no. So the first time I moved our boat, I also had oh, to yeah. jump. But I don't True. even know if I want to tell that story because it's kind of embarrassing. It's okay. I should you tell, should it. tell it the story. You like, to, have... you like to hear my embarrassing stories? <laughs> It's just reality, you know. Yeah, well, I was just a, I'm still an inexperienced boater, but I was definitely inexperienced then, for sure. But yeah, I, I took, like the day after we bought um, our Endeavor, I took my little brother, because we were going to sail around uh, around Florida, and so we were like, hey, well, actually, we kind of like left, like it was like time to start the trip, and uh, we anchored out in the bay just out of the slip, maybe half a mile, and anchored for the night. And, um, you know, we had the lights on. We were listening to some music. We made some food. We turned the, de we turned the deck lights on because they were so cool. It was great. And then, <laughs> um, yeah, I, like, left a couple of the cabin lights on. I don't know. Either way, when I woke up the next morning, our batteries were dead. And I didn't change my uh, – sorry – and I didn't change the battery switch to the house batteries. It was just on both all night. So I drained the starter battery and the house battery because I had no idea what I was doing or how boats are typically <laughs> wired up. So that was uh, great. So the next morning I had to call Towboat US and they came and jumped the boat. It was 
<laughs> it's a great first experience. And I went back to the slip <laughs> a half a mile away with my tail between my legs. It was horrible. So speaking of that, so this whole podcast is about the boat purchase. Um, but like, what on earth do you do after you buy the boat? Like, if you're a first time boat owners like us, it's like, oh my gosh, we just bought a boat. Now what? You know, so um, like for us, the boat was on the other side of Florida from where we were planning to live. And it was at a marina that we weren't allowed to live at. And that it was, you know, we had to move the boat because it wasn't our slip. We didn't own the the slip or whatever. We weren't renting it. So um, what did you do next? Like, what was the next step? You We bought the boat and then, you know, we had to figure out what on earth we were going to do with it. So we'll just tell our story. It's going to be different for everyone. But um, like Tanner said, the next day he pulled out of the marina and then what? Well, we went straight to a boatyard because we didn't feel comfortable moving it that far about 500 miles with the things that were in the survey. There were a few things that I wanted to fix before I felt comfortable doing it, especially because I was basically on my own with a 15-year-old. You weren't here yet with me, so I was a little nervous about it. And there was a few things that I just figured should probably fix, like the engine stuff, um, some of the stuff under the waterline. But, uh, yeah, so anyways, like you were saying, yeah, it's going to dep- it's it's going to depend once you buy your boat a, on a lot of different things. Sometimes you may be able to if your boat's in a slip somewhere and someone's paying, you know, 3 or 400 dollars for it a month, you may be able to just take that over and just keep paying it and keep it stored there like if it, if you buy a boat in your hometown, it's right down the road, you might be able to just take it over and keep paying it. Uh you know, like for our in our instance, the guy was buying another boat and it was like he was like, "Hey, like you know, I'm about to buy this boat like next week, so you guys got to move it. <laughs> so we were like across Florida, all the way across Florida. Got to figure out real quick, where are we going to take it? Is it going to be seaworthy to bring all the way around Florida? Should we, we were considering going through the Okeechobee water, waterway to get there quicker. Um, and then we ended up deciding to just pull it out at the closest DIY boatyard we could find. And that's what we did. Um, yeah, like I, we kind of mentioned earlier, some people buy their boat in another country. Like I can't even imagine like you buying your boat in like the British Virgin Isles and you have to like fly there with all of your things in your suitcases and like figure it out when you get there. That's crazy. But people do it. Yeah, I was kind of living the the distance life and like going through all of this from a different state, just a different state. And I felt like, oh my gosh, this would be an impossible process if we didn't have someone there in Florida where we were buying the boat. Like um, people do it like from far away, but I think it would be pretty difficult. And I think you'd have to fly there and it would have to be a lot more organized than what we were. Cause, um, we didn't really have a plan for after we bought the boat, you know? So, um, yeah, I'm really glad you were there and it made it a lot easier to have you in Florida and able to just kind of roll with the punches and, um, make decisions on the fly as far as what we were going to do next. So, yeah, I mean, some, some people just have to like, some people buy their boat sight unseen. Yeah. You know, they'll hire a surveyor, they'll see a boat listening online, they'll hire a surveyor, send them out there. They'll do the survey without, without you being there and then send you the report and people make decisions. They buy boats and then they'll fly out to their boat a month later. That's just crazy. But Hey, got to do what you got to do, I guess. Right. Yeah. So after the boat yard, um, you know, we had to decide, okay, what now? And we decided Tanner and his brother were going to sail the boat all the way around Florida, which 
uh, we've already talked a little bit about that experience. So it was kind of crazy. But once he got it to the Sarasota area, which is where his family was living, um, we had to, you know, find where we were going to put it. So marinas, you can either pay for a liveaboard slip or not a liveaboard slip. And some marinas don't allow liveaboards. So um, we ended up finding a cheaper marina to store the boat at. And then, you know, we, we're not technically allowed to live on it where it is. So that's another consideration. Um, you could just go straight to Anchor um, if you're ready for that, <laughs> which um, we were not quite ready yeah, for Yeah, we're straight to the Bahamas. Yeah, or just uh, <laughs> leave right away. But there's a lot of different options and a lot of considerations. Some people, like I've heard of people in California who have to put their name on a wait list for a liveaboard slip like a year in advance. So yep. um, it really depends on where you are. And like if you want to live on your boat full time, you got to plan a little bit far in advance. So yep. um, I I called a, quite a few marinas, probably half of them, where they said there's a wait list. Yeah. Actually, a lot of the boat yards I called. Yeah. You know, that that's why I had to move the boat 50 miles away from where it was sitting when we bought it was because there was no places that allowed you to do the work yourself that didn't have a wait list nearby. So I had to find something south. And, you know, luckily it was only an hour, you know, not an hour, an hour drive. It was a day sail away. So, yeah, you got to be ready for that. And same with the liveaboard slips. A lot of places I called when I got to Sarasota, you know, probably half of them said there's a wait list. We don't have any slips that size available right now. We'll put you in a wait list at maybe six months. You know, I don't know. And if you are planning on living on your boat, the next step is actually moving onto the boat, which is like a crazy process in itself. You know, you have to, for us, we we had two different houses we were living in. Um, We had to downsize. We're still kind of in the process as I'm not there yet, but um, moving onto the boat, um, you know, finding places to put everything and, you know, making the boat your home. So, um, you know, the purchase is one thing, but what you do next is is kind of the more exciting part. So um, we're still in the process of that and we're glad you guys are a part of it. Um, And we're just really excited for the next steps. We got all the, you know, initial paperwork out of the way. I'm sure there'll be a ton more paperwork when we start moving the boat um, to different countries. We started researching that earlier um, last week, but (laughs) yeah. But um, right now we're kind of in the exciting phase. I'm heading down to Florida in a couple of weeks and uh, we're actually, you know, going to do this thing. So um, we wanted to share that with you guys. We wanted to kind of like put it out there, what our experiences were and maybe how you could follow the same kind of steps if you're trying to buy your first boat. And, uh, so yeah, we hope you enjoyed it. And if you have any questions or if you, you know, need anything from us, leave a comment below. Hey, thanks everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Sincia podcast. Please like, rate, comment, or share if you enjoyed the episode. If you'd like to support us, you can by subscribing to our YouTube channel or Patreon, where you can get some additional content and some cool swag. Check out our website at sailingsincia.com, where you can learn more about us and our mission and links to all the content we produce each week. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time.